Kelsey's expecting. When are you due, Kels? May 31st. So you could be praying that God will carry that good work to completion. And uh, yeah, grateful for you both. Thank you. And I do pray, Lord, would you fall afresh in this place? We know, Lord, that you are everywhere and every place. Unfailing love is who you are. At the same time, God, you are personal, God. And so we want to invite you in here, Lord, because you invite us in. That's who you are, the God of hospitality. So we ask that the, uh, the words of my mouth, Lord, the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, God. You are our rock and redeemer. We pray that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Uh, so we exist as a church to love God and others. This is uh, the great command. This is something that the books of James really expounds upon. Our, our, our mission, our goal is that anyone who enters in these doors, whether you're new here, uh, you've been coming forever, is that you would take a next step with Jesus, whatever that next step would be. And uh, that's for you to discern and for us to walk with you. With that, each week we try to give recommended next steps. And I just want to recap next week, and last week rather, and see how that went for you all. Last week we talked about the church was the training ground uh, where we learn to redemptively converse. I think there's a slide there, Zachary. The church is a, a training ground where we re- learn to redemptively converse. Uh, what that looks like tangibly is that we pray to God, and we ask God, do you have a word for us? And in love, do you have a word maybe for others as you bring them to our minds and heart? And as we pray, Nate, what's up, dude? How you doing, man? That's my brother. As we pray, I had a word for him, just saying hi. As we pray... We, we share that word. We share that word with somebody. We surrender it. We don't do it heavy-handed. We don't say, you need to do this. It's just like, hey, here's a word I have for you. And you ask for a time to say, are you available to hear it? And then if you give them permission, you get to share that word. So as we talked about that last week, and that can feel really complicated if you're new here, for those who were here and who had ears to hear, how did that go? Uh, and, and maybe how can it go this week? If you were not here, if you weren't in that message, here's a question for here. What's a helpful word you received from somebody this week? If it's just a greeting, uh, if it's not even a word but a being held or a hug or maybe just an encouragement. Let's just take some time as we prepare for our day just to share with somebody beside you what you may have done from last week's message and or how you received a helpful word this week. Clear? Crystal clear? Clear as mud? Okay, Claire says it's clear, which means it's clear. Okay, take your time. This is the time where you talk to somebody next to you. Oh, okay. That's great. I'll make the cuts. All right, take another 30 seconds. Hi, Dad. All right. So uh, quite a few years ago, maybe 10 or 11 years ago, I received a word from a shepherd, a discipler in my life. He was asking me about the priorities I had in my life. And at that time, I was a dad, just a new dad, and still fairly young in my marriage. And I was, I was just trying to learn what it means to serve as a father and a husband. Uh, other priorities I had, he was asking me my, my space with the Lord and silence and solitude was something that I'd been practicing for a while. Meanwhile, I also had a heart. Uh, and I still have a heart for the, for the lost or those who don't know Jesus, my pre-Christian, pre-Christian friends and family and people I haven't met yet. And I shared that and trying to serve. And as he was listening to me, he, he shared a word with me. 
And this word won't make sense until later on the message, but I wanted to just drop the seed. He said, Andy, it sounds like you're missing the inn. He's, you're missing the inn. And not inn like the hotel, like missing the inn preposition. Missing the end. And essentially, the, what he was saying is there was a key aspect of my life. He asked my, that, I, that I wasn't attending to. It wasn't even on my, on my radar because it didn't fall within my plans. It didn't fall within my plans. And, and that's a bit of what we're going to be talking about is our plans today. And Proverbs 16.9 says that in their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. It's a fairly well-known proverb, and, and today we're talking about this idea of what are our plans and how they may be missing the plans of God. They may not be. There may be some great affirmation, too, so let this be a space of freedom and reflection. In fact, I was challenged to give space uh, this week from some great leaders on staff for more reflection, so I'm, I'm looking forward to that, doing that in my own creative way. Uh, but we are going to turn into our scripture our scripture, uh, we've been in James, as Casey said. James, in many ways, is a commentary both on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount as well as other teachings throughout the Gospels that we see. Uh, it's also a callback to his own upbringing, uh, particularly in the book of Proverbs, which is why I felt free to read uh, just that one proverb to you this morning. He is almost certainly the brother of Jesus, the leader of the Jerusalem church, and he's writing to Jewish Christians who've been spread across the Roman Empire due to some persecution early on. And so I'm going to just say, if you're, if you're physically able, would you please stand out of respect for God's word? James writes in chapter 4, verses 13 to 17. James chapter 4, verses 13 to 17. We've been talking about essentially dissension in the church, and James is pivoting a bit now. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is a sin for them. Strong words from our comforting brother James, as always. Uh, you may have a seat. Thank you, Lord, for the truth and trustworthiness of your word. Again, we're pivoting a bit from dissension in the church to a conversation somewhat revolving around finances. And uh, I think one of the first questions we have when, whenever we read a scripture like that is, who is James writing to? Um, is he writing to what we see as rich people? And what is the view of rich people in the ancient world? And I just want to take a moment, step right back, and, and let us know that when we think about wealth, particularly in the Bible, it actually varies pretty drastically from our current socioeconomic continuum. Like in the modern world, there's three classes, right? There's upper class, middle class, and lower class. Upper class makes up 10 to 20 plus percent, middle class is 50 percent, and then lower class is 
20 to 30 plus or minus percent according to statistics and that whole idea of there being like upper middle class and lower middle class that's kind of like a myth those statistics aren't there um, probably to make us kind of feel better um, but that th those are the three classes and um, if you're living here in this time where the beach is like 500 feet that way I'd say you're probably doing okay I don't know everybody's situation but uh, most of us if we have a programmable computer in our hip, we're doing okay. Um, I say that because when we look at the ancient world, there were three classes, but they varied pretty drastically. There was the completely impoverished class, where you're pretty much begging for your food and scrapping together a home for you to live somewhere out in the wilderness. There's also the overtaxed and barely getting by, but getting by working class. So that's, if we got, and over here in the States, we've got Lower, middle, and upper, it's like impoverished, just getting by. And then there is the aristocracy or the wealthy who have almost celebrity-like status. That's kind of the comparison of classes. Every comparison to a modern-day analogy is apples, is not apples to apples. But like if you think about, even if you go across the border, it's a lot closer to that. Like there are those who are impoverished, live in shacks, and there's like a working class barely getting by, and then there are those who are wealthy that seem like they're celebrity status. Not the same, but it gives us an idea. Why do I say all that? Well, James is writing to those who are well off enough that they're able to make plans. Well off enough to make plans, meaning we just can't relegate this conversation to the higher-ups. To the higher-ups. It's, it's to a set of people who plan their life around their work schedule. Or better stated, whose work plans their life schedules. Uh, those who use their resources and their skills and their abilities to plan their life in order to make a profit. And a profit just being whatever you net, the income minus the expenses. So James is talking about people who have opportunities to work. And given our socioeconomic status, that can apply almost to each person here. Just to make that clear. Are we in there? And in short, it's us. It's us. And here's the headline. Here's the headline in all this. When we plan our life around our work, work will plan our life. And I use the word single quotes, life. When we plan our life around our work, work will plan our life. And the inevitability, without prayer and discernment, is that work becomes our life. Work will become our life. Conversely, when we plan our life around the kingdom of God, well, the kingdom will plan our life. The kingdom becomes our life. And, and I know those are like great statements, like tweetable statements, bunker stickers if you're a little bit older. And we love those yummy, yummy statements in the church. Uh, but it's not very instructive. It's not very instructive. And that's what I'm into. That's what I love doing as a preacher. It's like, okay, if this is true, then what do you have for us, God? It, I mean, he says in James 4.15, instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Okay, what does that even mean? How do we plan for the Lord's will? I feel like that phrase is thrown out a lot. Oh, the Lord's will. How do you plan on that? Well, I don't know if we're going to have space to plan today, but I do want to create space to reflect, to reflect on that. With a few necessary caveats. The exercises that we're going to do today, they will not be conclusive. They will be part of a larger discernment that you've probably already been doing. Um, they'll be helpful. And God will want to carry that discernment forward. 
Uh, I just want to say that. They're not going to be perfect, uh, but I think they'll be really good for us to think about how we plan for the Lord's will for our lives. This is really important as a follower of Jesus. Um, Secondly, I do think I need to dip my toe into theology when it comes to the Lord's will, and I know I'll make some people mad because I will not do this perfectly. I will not do this perfectly. As many of you know, I'm a, I'm a student of Jesus, but I'm also a student of my own teachers. I have my own theologies formed. And so what I will say is, according to my limited perspective, there are two ways that you can think about God's will. Two ways. Uh, one is specific, and one is general. As a mentor in my life uh, tells me, sometimes, not all the time, God puts before us something specific. He calls it a bullseye. This is a specific opportunity that God has for you, whether it's life-altering, a random act of kindness, or even a seemingly gentle and kind gesture, Uh, meaning he's provided for us something specific. The, The theological term is specific will. And uh, if we miss it, a lot of us can think that we've missed God's exact blueprint in our life. To that, I say, and you don't have to repeat after me this time, but I say nay. God is way too gracious. If there was a blueprint for our life, I missed it way back when. I missed it, um, if there was. Um, But as the gospel alludes, our God is a God of grace upon grace. Read John 1. Gracious upon gracious. Our Lord is so gracious that sometimes he even brings opportunities back to us. Our Lord is so gracious that he brings new opportunities to us if we may have missed one. He is that good. Not all of life is specific, and God is not that controlling. That's my belief. We can arm wrestle about it later. The other one, freedom. The caveat is this. Freedom is a huge theme we see in Scripture. Jesus talks about it's the son that sets us free. It's the truth that sets us free. Paul in the book of Galatians talks about his, it's for freedom that Christ has set you free, and then he bookends that chapter 5 with this idea of living by the fruit of the Spirit, that if you're living by these fruits, you're living in the freedom of Christ. If you're living in Christ's love, his joy, his peace, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, uh, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, that you're living uh, in the freedom that Christ has for you. He says it this way in Colossians, that whatever you do, whether in word and deed, do it all in the name of Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is God's general will, that God wants us to to live by the Spirit, to live freely. Freely to do what? To love. To love God and love others, which James is writing about. I'll end this side conversation about God's will with this this subpoint. Um, as we continue to live freely in God's general will, and I call this the open meadow, or if you're Scandinavian, the smorgasbord, we actually become more aware of God's specific bullseye opportunities. That's the beauty. As we seek to love God and others, live by the fruit of God's Spirit, we, we actually become more aware of this, the blue, not the blueprint. The bullseye opportunities, not blueprint, bullseye opportunities. Are you guys with me? Are you ladies with me? Everybody with me? Okay. This is like this. I feel like I should go here because this segues well into the idea of like, okay, well, how do we plan for God's general will? Thank you for asking. How do we plan for God's general will? What is God's general will? 
As I mentioned, it's about the Jesus Creed, which is to love God and love others. And when we think about this idea of love and who is the, who is the recipients of our love, there's three dimensions to this. Three dimensions. There's a loving relationship that we have with God. Some people call this the up dimension, this idea of um, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind and strength. Jesus got away, it says in Mark, to, to get away with God. He did that on his own. But it also says the crowds got away to get with Jesus. So it's not something you just do on your own. It could be something that you do with others. Hey, let's go love with God today. In fact, you being here as you getting away to love God a bit. That's the up dimension. Then there's this in dimension. Remember I talked about missing the in? This is what this is referring to for me. This, this loving that happens within relationships that are surrounded by our faith. Loving our faith-filled friends and family. Loving our fellow disciples in Jesus. Uh, it's kind of missed in the Jesus Creed because you hear love God and love others. And sometimes we think love God and love the broken world, which actually is the third dimension. But part of loving others is loving one another. That's what Jesus says in John 15. This is my command, love one another. He writes, John writes in a first letter, uh, the world, they will know you by our love for one another. That's the in dimension. And Jesus invested in his disciples and they invested in him. And then finally, there's this out dimension. Up with God in with the faithful friends and family, and then out. This is our posture, our relationship, our, our relationship with the world, our, our goals to be ambassadors of reconciliations, our goals to love both in word and deed. James says religion that uh, God the Father finds pure and faultless is this, is to help the orphans and widows in distress, distress and, and to keep ourselves from being polluted in the world. I think a question we have when we look at this way of living, and there's a, there's a um, triangle here. As we look at that, there's the up dimension. This is the in relationship with believers and out our relationship with the world. And a lot of organizations actually teach by this. A lot of churches have environments that cultivate this type of living. When we, when we consider this and we consider our own modern psychology where we can ask the question, well, where is the love of self? Where is the love of self when it comes to something like this, this three-dimensional way of kingdom living? Well, love of self is in every single one of those. That if you are loving God, it's all from an overflow of God's love of you. That it, God loves you more than you could ever love yourself. And when you place yourself, the scripture says that we love because God first loved us. And that's why we love God, is to receive God's love and be an overflow, which is exactly that last song was singing. And then the in relationship, Jesus commands us to love one another. Our goal is to be, even in this place, a home where there's mutually uh, reciprocating relationships of love. That as I love Matt, as we were patting each other's face last week, that he loves me. As I love my wife, she loves me. And then finally, in the world, I cannot guarantee you that the world would love you by any means, but I can tell you that if you seek to love the world, you will cultivate your passion and calling, which is just an awesome way to receive God's love. Make sense? You get to love the world in ways that God created you to, and when you do that, you're feeling God's pleasure. So there's where, there's where love of self is. 
and caveats. So how do we plan for the Lord's will from this passage? We'll return to that triangle later, but I thought um, by way of exercise, I thought of doing something fun. Uh, James 14 says, why do you not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then then vanishes. That word mist is like vapor, smoke. With that, this life is short-lived. It's short-lived. And a life short-lived today, I'll tell you what, it's better than a life that's constantly planning for tomorrow. And so I want us to take time to reflect today, and I want to ask you this question. The first point is to consider what is life-giving for you today? I want you to take time and to consider what is life-giving for you today. Can I get any uh, volunteers? Jared, you look like a volunteer, sturdy. I want you to give out these sheets and then Bernardo, not you, Claire, sorry. Um, I want you to give out these sheets too. I made some sheets. I was challenged this week by Claire to do some reflective exercises, and this is my uh, best attempt. They're going to hand these out, and I want to give you time to reflect today. Even now as I speak, consider what is life-giving for you today. Here's pens if people need that. I want us to take time. I'm going to give you a couple minutes to dig deep. And consider some things that are life-giving to you. That's the first column. In fact, if you were to fill in the blank on that first column on the left, you would write in, what is life-giving to me today? What is life-giving to me today? And to give you an idea, um, I I wrote my own list. It's not the list by any means, but this is life-giving to me. And I tried to think through that idea of loving God, loving a relationship with my community, and loving the world. It could be a helpful litmus. At least try to include one from one of those. But like, what is life-giving for me? Uh, Fitness and surf, rest and naps, sacred spaces with family, silence and solitude, nature and public spaces. See how I did two of them? Sometimes people do that. I do it. Hosting the hurting. And then I do believe pastoring and discipleship is pretty life-giving. So I'd love for you just to take some time and reflect what is life giving to you? That's the first column. You can write four, you can write three. If you only get one out, that's awesome. If you want to take it home and do it, that's great. This is your time to reflect. What is life giving to you today? Our lives are short. God wants to live lives of love, which is really uh, life to the full. All right, so as you look over that list or you're completing that list, a great question always to ask someone is what's standing out to you? What is standing out to you from that list? Another way you can say that, if you are in the in dimension, so to speak, uh, the bottom right-hand corner is what is God bringing to your attention? And and there's a lot of things that can stand out. Maybe it's something you're already doing. Uh, Maybe it's something you're not doing at all. Something you may be kind of doing or something you can easily make space for or seemingly impossible to make space for. What what is something that's standing out to you? And and I would love for us to, to pray about that. Maybe pick one or two and then share with your neighbor beside you. Just take one or two from the list Again, this is not a conclusive exercise. And share with your neighbor, hey, this is what's standing out to me.
Cool? So, introverts, you got about 10 seconds before I unleash you. Three, two, one, extroverts explode. <clears throat> All right. Another minute. Take your time. Another minute. I just want to set yourself up well. One or two things that stand out to you. Huh? In or out. This could be up, in or out. Huh? Wait, this is... No, I just did that for help. It could be anything. I said you can use any side of the triangle. And I shared mine weren't all in. Mine were like resting, silence, and solitude. No, mine were... No. Okay. Just pause real quick. This list can be any part of your life. It could be a relationship with God. It could be something fun you like to do. It could be your desire to serve God's, God's kingdom, your passions. I, I feel like, I, did I confuse that? I said it was about, I try to say it could be any part of the triangle. And don't judge if what's life given to you. If God created you to nap, naps are awesome. If God created you to surf, surf is awesome. It's a way to receive God's love. God also created you for missional opportunities. So I just want to make sure I made that clear. Okay. No, it's great. It's great. I feel like I killed the conversation, but <laughs> please finish your conversation. Okay. We discuss what is life-giving. Uh, now I want to discuss the second column and also our second point today. If we just talked about what is life-giving, we now want to talk about what we're giving our life to. I'm like full of those pithy statements today, you know? What are we giving our life to today? I want you to name what you're giving your life to. Jesus, or James uh, says, Jesus through James, instead you ought to say, if this is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or do that. Uh, James is providing a pretty simple and yet profound principle here. Sometimes our plans are not God's plans. Sometimes they are. In fact, if you look at that list, you might be like, oh, this is... What the, I'm doing some of these things. I found that out on my list. I'm like, all right, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm, I'm entering into what God has for me. There are invitations, there are challenges, but I'm also, there are affirmations there. So the, the second list um, you would write at the top is, what am I giving my life to right now? What, what is your life really oriented around? What am I giving my life to? So for me, I like surf and fitness, but I'm giving my life to rehabilitation for my lower back constantly. Uh, rest and naps, I don't take naps, but I get eight hours. Uh, I, I'm around a lot with my family. Uh, I am around, but sacred spaces, there may be an invitation there for me. And the list goes on. You can compare your life to the first list. You don't have to. It might be helpful just to be like, all right, I work this much. This is what my evenings look like. This is what my weekends look like. But take some time just to consider what you're giving your life to. That's the second column. If you ran out of room, you can just write on the back. It's blank. What are we giving our life to? Take some time to write those down. All right. Um, as you write, I actually want to create some space just for us to pray over that list and look at it and to internally process. You're welcome, introverts.
But just study the list. Maybe take some notes of what you think is going on. And uh, look again at both the list before and look at that list. And just prayerfully reflect, reflect hey, what, what, what is the Lord's invitation for me? Just take a moment to look at it and pray over it. I'll, in fact, I'll pray this time up. So, Lord, we pray that you would bring, uh, you would bring wisdom and guidance, of course, your grace, uh, to the eyes of our heart so that we could see what you have for us, Lord. Maybe you're holding a baby and you feel like, I have no time for anything right now. Let that grace roll over you. But also be free to do this exercise. Seasons. Again, mama of babies, I see you. I see you. Remember, our, what is our, our mission? Our goal here is take a step with Jesus, not take 17 steps. And sometimes a step is stopping something, not starting something. That actually is, I didn't have that in my notes, but it leads us pretty well into the third point today. James writes this, As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is a sin for them. See, this brings up one of the greatest principles you and I can know, and, and you might have learned it if you took econ in college. Um, it's, it's simply this, that our yeses are always a no to something or someone else. Our yeses are always a no to something to someone else. Every affirmation is a renunciation. Econ, they said it's the opportunity cost. Anybody remember that? Econ 151, University of Delaware, what? Opportunity cost. It was mind-blowing when I heard that. But every yes is a no to something else. Easy example is I married Courtney. And uh, when I married Courtney, I said no to every other woman. I'm here to love her heart, mind, soul, everything, and I'm saying no to loving other women that way. Uh, I think as we get more than nitty-gritty, if you're saying maybe yes to a work project, you may be saying no to a relationship. Uh, if you say yes to your phone in your bed, you may be saying no to prayers or, pray, or being uh, with your family or friends or roommates. Conversely, when you think about that, every renunciation is also an affirmation. Every no can be a yes to something else. So if I say, if I'm going to leave my phone um, in my bathroom at night, I'm saying yes to just, well, falling asleep easier, yesing to be available for others. Uh, if I don't listen to a book in my rehab clinic, I actually am more prone to sharing God's love with other people. Um, so I digress, but what is needed for our exercise today is to discern how my yeses today may be saying no to God. And if you're saying no to God, you're also saying no in every way to yourself. So that's the third list, is to take, consider what your renunciations are. What are these, as you fill in the blank, what are these yeses saying no to right now? And I know this is a hard exercise, which is why a caveat again. And if you have young kids, you can just throw it out on your way out. That's totally fine. But it's just like, what is one simple invitation that God would have for you as you consider these things? And as I look at what I'm giving my life to, and if it feels like it doesn't flow into life-giving, what, what is it saying no to? And I'm going to just say this right now. Sometimes we have this is-what-it-is mentality. Like, hey, I can't just say no to work. 
or I can't say no to this relationship. I have a relationship in my life that I've been like, been just like, hey, is this really life-giving for me, this relationship? And I processed it with another mentor of mine this week. And he said, well, that relationship's probably not going to go away. And it's no one in this room, by the way. By the way, I just want to say that. Greg, you and I have to talk later. No, it's not. <laughs> uh, um, it, he just said, you can have greater boundaries. You don't need to initiate as much as you've been initiating. So this might be an invitation to maybe greater boundaries with those things that are necessary yeses. Amen? So, but for now, for the sake of the exercise, take a moment and just consider what made the renunciations or what made me my, my yeses saying no to? That's what I want to say. So look at the second column. What is this yes saying maybe no to or saying no to? All right. So as you look at your list, I do think it would be good maybe to share one thing that's standing out to you again. As you look at that last list, some of us do enjoy processing with others. So I want to create one more space for that before, uh, before I, we conclude the message portion. So take a moment as you've done this exercise and see what's standing out to you and consider what may be a step that you can take to either stop something and or start something. All right. So as we conclude today, uh, my encouragement for all of us, and this may be the word from the Lord or it may be the egg sandwich I had this morning. But most, if not all of us, really need to seek and live in the land of good enough. And if we live in the land of good enough, I actually think uh, more life will happen as a result of us seeking to live like Christ, um, which is to live more like you in the mystery. Um, God hopes for nothing more than for you to live more and more like Carol and more and more like Greg and more and more like Dana and more and more like Susie. That's, that's God's heart. And so, uh, yeah, I, I had this final exercise, but I'm kind of like, I feel good about it. We'll hit it up another time. There's a, if you want to, there's another triangle at the bottom. And if you look at that, you can, if you want to evaluate your life, you can look at like, hey, how am I doing down here in the in? How am I doing the out and the up? And that can also be another way to refine this practice of like, hey, God, what do you have for me? Either way, the next steps for all of us as we seek to, to be disciples, to be followers and learners together, that's what that word disciple means, is just to, to take a step. It's really the third step. Uh, to take a step based on what you're hearing from God today, what's standing out to you. What can you prune? What can you create boundaries with in order to cultivate a more complete life-giving life? That is what I meant to write. Uh, a life that cultivates a relationship with the Lord, a relationship within a shared community, as well as a posture and a calling in this world. Amen? So I want to invite up Kelsey and Hamilton, and, uh, and I'm just going to pray for us. Lord, we know um, that any space that we have to reflect on what you're up to or what you, you desire to be up to in our lives, Lord, is good space. We thank you that the cross creates space for us to live in relationship with you. That we have lasting communion with the maker of the universe whose essence is love, who came in the form of a man, Jesus, who restores all things you're restoring us.
that you give us a community, Lord, a covenantal relationships to learn, grow, share, guide, to grieve with, to be learners and extended family together. Lord, that you give us a connection to this world, a deep love, a love that's rooted in your love for the world. Even if the world's against us, we can love the world, knowing their deepest desires for you, God. And from the cross comes our renewed responsibilities, kingdom responsibilities, to show us that we are free to live in love and sacrifice, that we can serve one another and discover our giftings in this place and rediscover what would be our deepest passions. And then we can serve and love a world and then call them to you uh, and to your restorative kingdom. Lord, we pray that your justice, your righteousness, and most importantly, your, your love would reign as we take a next step with you. God, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to us? As we think about our lives, what is your plans? We surrender it again. In Jesus' name, amen.